0: Today, uh, you know, we're going to read through the passage that Robert uh, just read. We're going to read through it. We're going to go through it uh, kind of verse by verse as we normally do. It's the second week uh, as we jump into the book of Colossians. Uh, and so I'll, we'll read it. Usually this is where I read it again, but we'll read it uh, as we go. And so I just want we just need to jump in because there's, there's so much to see here. I mean, I've, I, this week as I was studying, there's just so many people who feel like this this section in Colossians chapter 1 is like this beautiful crown jewel, not just of the, the book of Colossians, but of a lot of the New Testament, just this beautiful thing, and kind of like the same way we look at uh, uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, or maybe even Romans 8. And I know that's the granddaddy of all crown jewels, but this is just this beautiful hymn uh, that Paul is, is talking about here in Colossians 1. So we need to jump in on our passage today. Paul wants to make sure we understand that we see who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we're meant to see that Jesus is above and before everything and he is all and in all and that we are called to remember these things as we await his return that moment when he will present us as holy and blameless before the father. So we'll look at three things today as we normally do. We'll look at he is supreme, he is complete and we remember. He is supreme, we're talking about Jesus being the he, the capital H, he. He is supreme, he is complete. We remember. So first, he is supreme. And we'll focus here in this section on verses 15 through 18. It's in your Bible. It's on your phone. It's on the screen. Colossians 1. Yes, it's on the phone. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 18. I'll recover. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he, being Jesus, might be preeminent. You know, an image is a representation of something. You know, a camera captures light, uh, light data, and then it reproduces that data into an arrangement of red, gr- green, and blue pixels so that we can see it at a later date. We all understand how images work. I'm sure, if, again, if you do have a phone, you you probably have a few images on your phone. And so we take a photo, we look at it at a later date, we get that. I, I've kind of talked about this before, I know. And, you know, when we lived in the Pacific Northwest, there were these beautiful granite mountains. And these mountains, you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and the Appalachian Mountains, they kind of just roll. So you never, they're just always there. You're always, where we live, we were always in the Appalachian Mountains. So you never got to see it like from sea level to the top, if that makes sense. You just were on it. You're kind of already up in the mountains and. So it was beautiful, but when we moved to the Pacific Northwest where you have the ocean, you have sea level, and then you have these huge mountains with snow cap, like there's just something about that grandeur. And so I remember when we first went there and uh, I am, I have a, 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 on my phone, I have a camera. It's pretty nice. I'm not bragging. Uh, I'll let you look at it later. But, uh, so I have a camera on my phone. I just remember that when we first got there being like, oh my goodness, this, what in the world? So just trying to take all these pictures of, uh, my phone is not this big, Uh <laughs> trying to take all these pictures of these mount- this mountain range because it was just so beautiful. And I remember what happened the first time I looked at those photos and I wanted to text my mom or dad who live in the Appalachian, like I want to text them and say, hey, look at this, I just remember what happened. Like I would look at the photo and be like, oh man, like this isn't going to help. Like they're going to look at this picture and say, oh, huh, okay. Because you, what we realize, what we understand is, is I don't care how good your camera is, you just can't capture the, the beauty uh, or, or even I, I'm going to say this word, but maybe it may. I, if you've ever seen things that are so big, you would understand. It, but the weight, you understand, like the weight of the of the of the scene. It's just like you see this, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, that is so weighty. That is so significant. It is so beautiful." And I'm using words there that in the Bible actually there is one word that means all of those things. You know, weight, beauty, significance. You know what that word is? It's it's glory. You can't capture. The true glory of the mountain range with a camera. It just can't do it. I don't care how wide the angle is. They always fall short. And so I remember, again, showing the picture to my parents or to to other family members who live, you know, in Texas where there are zero mountains. And or my family who lives in now Maryland. I just remember sharing and I have to like send a text and say, listen, but you just got to see it. Like I sent all these qualifiers. But, 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 you know what I mean? Like because... These pictures fall short. Why do we send those qualifiers when we take a picture of something beautiful and it's not represented in the photo? Because the hope is that the image will accurately communicate and
1: reflect the beauty and significance of the things that you Make the photos fall short. And as we know, we've been created, we've all been created in the image of God. Our sin has degraded that image so much.
0: We have fallen short of representing Him that often we can't see Him.
1: That Jesus Christ is the image of God. Or as Hebrews
0: says in chapter 1, He is the perfect imprint of God. A representation of God, a facsimile of God. He is God. He is the thing itself. So then, how is helpful for understanding who Jesus is. By taking on flesh, Jesus is becoming something we could understand. His flesh is the pixels or are the pixels that have been arranged in a way that we could understand. He is the view that reveals. He is the tangible, the touchable of what cannot even be approached He is the visible of what is invisible. He existed outside of time and creation and entered into it in order that we might see and know God. On this topic, Tim Tim Keller often quoted an essay from C.S. Lewis called The Seeing Eye. In this, it was Lewis, C.S. Lewis, responding to uh, the Russian cosmonauts going to space. And uh, it was written by some other guy saying... Um, And they didn't find God in space. So C.S. Lewis writes this, this essay in response to not finding God in space. He writes this, that a character in Shakespeare's play will not find Shakespeare in the attic or in any other room. I think he specifically says Macbeth, Macbeth can't go to another room in the play and find Shakespeare. But in a way, Shakespeare as the author is present in every room. The only way Shakespeare could have made himself known to a character in one of his plays is if Shakespeare would have written himself into the play. Does that make sense? The only way a character in the play can know the author is if the author writes himself into the play. That's the only way. Even though everything the character would see is part of the author, they're seeing glimpses of the author, they can't see himself unless he writes himself into the play. And this is what God has done. What we receive in Jesus is God entering into the story and into the conflict so that we can know him, so that we could see the one who is holy, 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 which, remember what that means, he is completely other. That is, he is outside of created things. He is not creaturely. So the holy, 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 the completely other wanted to make himself known and became man. He wrote himself into history. Our passage goes on to call Jesus the firstborn of all creation. And briefly, you must understand, he's not saying that he was the first created being. Rather, what Paul is communicating here is that he is supreme and preeminent to all created things. Quite literally, it's talking about the heir of all things. He is the first and foremost. If we're following along here, in verse 17 says... He is before all things, and it tells us then that in Him, this is, look, if you, don't have, if you haven't looked yet, look at section B of verse 17. In Him, all things hold together. Like, we need to understand that. What this is telling us is that He is not just how created things began, He is how created things continue. Is there anything more humbling and reorienting than this truth? Consider this right now as each of us sit in this room. Jesus is holding all of creation together. He didn't just set the table at creation and then show up as the guest of honor at his incarnation or at his birth. He is holding all things together from instantaneous decay, from becoming nothing. This is not just a reminder that anyone made possible by his work. It is infinitely more granular. That is, atoms and molecules work because he is holding them together. And the world would say, no, natural laws hold molecules together. Electric charges hold molecules together. What has been revealed here is that his word of power is the law that holds everything Natural law is a way to explain in human language the unexplainable order of the universe. And Paul is saying, Jesus is what the Apostle John calls the word that is translated as the Logos. So then, what Paul is saying, Jesus is the logic that explains the order of the universe. He is the cohesion of all things. So then, therefore... If his lordship over creation hesitates, or even if his lordship blinks, coherence of the universe ends. Everything becomes incoherent. It falls apart. He is Lord. In him all things hold together. The church, that is, all who have placed their faith in Christ, is called The new creation or a new creation. And Paul presses us to see the lordship of Jesus is in the church as well. He is the head of the church. The new creation, the new humanity is led by and is under the authority of Jesus. Again, we're looking at verse 18 here. In the church, he is not simply the founder that we have a picture of in our foyer. He is the current CEO in the boardroom. No decision or direction of the church in 2023 is to go counter to him and what he has said. His mission is our mission. His core values are our core values. His goal is our goal. His posture in achieving those goals is our posture in achieving those goals. What he cared about is what we care about. And what all of this is pointing us to and what it is reminding us of is that he is supreme. Everything not only exists, but is cohering, sticking together by and through his lordship. As we continue in Colossians, we'll see that Paul is not simply writing these neat truths here about Jesus. He means these things to shape our actual lives. That we would see who he is and his grace upon us, that we would then, therefore, live in light of that. Do you understand that you don't think you need grace today? You do need His grace. Without His grace, you know what happens to you? You fall apart. All things are being held together right now. All right, secondly, He is complete. Verses 19 and 20 For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth, in heaven, or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I remember when I first got, uh, when I, the first car I had was uh, a hand-me-down from my parents, a Honda Accord. It was red. It was 1988. It was awesome. Uh, but I remember the first cor- car that I went and bought, it was another, it was a Honda Prelude. Uh, I think it was a 1999. It was also pretty great. And I remember seeing a commercial for the Honda Prelude, and I remember the commercial was pretty amazing. They showed me all these things. and It's like, oh my goodness, I, that car is so neat, and um, it doesn't have these windows anymore. I don't know if you're old enough to know what this means, but it used to be that's how you put a window down. That that is foreign for some of you. I understand that, uh, but you didn't have to do that anymore. And I remember thinking, and that you see on the on the on the um, on the commercial like pushing buttons and you're doing things. It's pretty great. So I remember going to there and I didn't have a lot of money. I just got my first job as a teacher. And uh, I remember going and um, they showed me the Honda Prelude that I could afford. And it was not the one in the commercial. It was not the one in the commercial. And uh, now they told me if I wanted to pay more monthly, I could have the one in the commercial, but that's not what I could do. And so I got the base model and it it, I think it did have the, the windows that you, um, you know, that's why my left arm was bigger always, because, you know, like, I got that one. It wasn't the fully loaded, complete package. It wasn't the Texas edition of the Honda Accord. Uh, sorry, I heard my wife laugh, and she understands why that's funny. Texas always has, like, this ridiculous addition. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> Again, we need to be reminded that there was a faction in the early church that was trying to convince the new Christians that they also needed to follow the traditions and Jewish ceremonial laws to have the full experience of God, the completely loaded experience of God. And so Paul writes this, For in him, in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is, in Jesus, we have all of God, the complete package. And while it is a mystery for us, the full humanity of Jesus is not at the cost of his full divinity. And so when we come to Christ, we are coming to the fullness of God. Jesus is not simply how we gain entrance to the presence of God. He is the presence of God. And so it is by abiding in Him and pursuing Him, considering Him, treasuring Him in truth as revealed in the Bible that we find that we can be known by God. And again, right now you may seem, okay, I know all that. Trust me, this is so important. If we don't have this foundation that Jesus is the fullness of God, Our lives will be changed and affected by it in ways where we are are searching for something more. See in verse 20, what it says here. Let me read it again. "Through Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. The gospel is that Jesus, who is the fullness of God, reconciled us to himself. What we made wrong in our rebellion, he paid for on the cross. And in doing that, he made peace for us with God. And I know we talk about that word every time it comes up. But we need to. But consider it, and, and consider this word peace in this context. If you get into an argument and you offend one of your friends, you, can, you offend them and let's say the next day you go to them and say, listen, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. I should not have said that. That was inappropriate. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. And let's say, okay, they, they, they forgive you. Great. Now, That's great. So you can have the conversation, maybe you go hang out. But isn't there always something that is less than? Aren't you then for the next few days or at least the next, that conversation, aren't you a little bit on eggshells? Like, oh my goodness, I've been forgiven. I shouldn't have done or said what I said and they forgave me and that's great. But you're still kind of walking on eggshells in that relationship until maybe the thing has been forgotten or the relationship has... uh, just past that or um, there's always a sense of it's not what it was before as we talk about and we take that into our relationship with God and as we talk about our relationship with God and we come to him and we say in our hearts because of how our horizontal relationships work with human beings
1: we say I will then earn your trust you that I spend some amount of time shame rather than a Jesus, that covers our sins. Again, the we have with God through Jesus is not conflict. with God is the presence of
0: fullness, of completion, of exile in our relationship with God. Okay, hear this. So what Jesus did on the cross was not just give us pardon of our sins and remove the conflict. His work goes further. It places us into a restored relationship with God. It makes peace. It doesn't simply remove sins. It also gives us righteousness. The cross of Jesus is not just how we get into the house. And then lets us prove how we should stay. It is the removal of the eggshells that we walk on after our sins. The cross is the complete act and work of our full restoration by the fullness of God in Christ. And it is an act of grace. That is unmerited and received not by confidence in our works, but through the confidence in His work. There is nothing more that we should or even can add to our Christian faith to make it complete. As it has been said many times before, there is no Jesus plus something that makes us right before God. If he is complete, if Jesus is the fullness of God, if he is that, then by faith in him, in him, we are complete, we are full. To say we need something more is to empty him of who he is. It's to deny his fullness, and it is to empty the cross of reconciliation of its effectiveness. How does that play out in our lives? Are you exhausted from trying to prove you belong here? And, I, and I'm, I'm speaking of church at this point. Are you exhausted of trying to prove that you belong? And in your insecurities, you feel shame. And so in order to continue in the church, instead of being stirred by the worship of others, you become defensive. The gospel is that Jesus has completed you. In Christ, you belong, period, full stop. Again, he didn't just remove sins. He gave you all of his righteousness. Why are we trying to add to that? It is full. It is yours by faith. You don't belong because of your work. You belong because he has reconciled you and given you peace with God. And so your work is simply your worship, your response to the unimaginable grace that you belong. And all of that realizing and seeing will absolutely then inform our works and our lives. What if Paul's argument here is true? That Jesus is the underlying logic of all created things. What if Jesus is the completion of all that we long for? Then these things go beyond how we are saved. Every day when we wake up, we look for satisfaction. Every single one of us. We're all looking for satisfaction every day when we wake up. The temptation is to look for the fullness in our lives in created things. We are looking for a life hack that will finally quiet the unquenchable appetite for more. So we say things like, all I need is this or that, and then I will be And what Paul is building and proclaiming here in this argument is that in Christ, we have already received what we long for. He is not simply all we need. He is all we could ever want. He is saying Christ is supreme over all created things in heaven on earth. He's the better treasure. He's the better possession. He is the better country. What if every created thing finds its completion in him? What if what creation is groaning for is his fullness? Not simply the absence of decay, but the presence of rest. Is it so hard to believe that the one who created us is also the one who completes us? Or have we become convinced that we are completed apart from him? And in that, we've created a sacred and secular divide. Mouths that sing that he is all we need on Sunday and lives that look for something else on Monday. He is the exhale, the sigh of contentment, the rest that every person is looking for. So he is supreme. He is the completion. And lastly, we remember. Again, going back to the photos of mountains. You know, if I was on, let's say I climbed on top of one of the mountains uh, there, in the northwest and i went to the top and i had my you know i have a a great camera i'm like i'm gonna cap, i'm gonna capture every single pixel of beauty here i take my camera i get to the top of the mountain i take the picture and i get to the top of the mountain i take it right right i take it from this angle and i just shoot down i show you the dirt of the mountain and then i forward you that picture and say look at this mountain oh man it's so beautiful (laughs) and while you may be like well that's that's nice that's a nice picture of a mountain can't really enjoy it per se because it's very sharp. The pixels are, there's a lot of pixels there crammed into that photo. Good picture of a mountain, but it's so close. Could you maybe zoom out just a little bit, just a little bit. Maybe I just then take a picture of just the top of the mountain. Oh, that's great. Again, the beauty of the mountain is seen when you fully zoom back and you see the water and How it shoots up out of the water, and you see it, and you see the sky, you see the scope, and just the context, the situation of the mountain. You understand that? After spending the previous verses lifting up the beauty and supremacy of Jesus, Paul zooms back out to make sure we understand the landscape of the gospel, that we could truly enjoy what is happening here. He zooms out, he wants us to see it. Look what he says here in verse 21 and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he's now reconciled uh, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him understand that this is not simply the landscape or the circumstances of the world that Jesus was born into 2000 years ago before faith in Jesus we were all alienated and hostile in mind doing evil Paul is not looking at Colossae and saying, of all people, ought to be, you ought to be very thankful for Jesus because you were separated from God in your rebellion. You alone were hostile towards him. No, Paul wrote in Romans 3, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So then, these are the circumstances, the situation, the landscape of Jesus' work in every person's life even today. This is the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it invades. And it is only then by the grace of God that we see and confess that reality. And trust me, I understand. I grew up in the church, and I've heard it so many times. Well, I grew up in the church, so my testimony of God's invasion, of God's grace, of God's beauty and and glory in my life is is smaller than yours because, you know, you came from this situation, this horrible situation, and and you are in this place, and God rescued from that, but, you know, mine is, is just this. And you don't understand, church goer, all of your lifer. That, I don't know. That, that, I, I hope that, that makes sense. Like me. When we reduce the work of God because we say, well, I, you know, he didn't rescue me from that much. I was always in church. I knew everything. Blah, blah blah Like what we're doing there is we are taking the picture of the mountain from about two feet away. We're saying, look. Look how beautiful. I mean, the gospel is beautiful. It doesn't really shape our lives. It doesn't really compel us. We're not It's not this big, dramatic, beautiful, awe-inspiring, worth our worship, shaping our lives. It's not that. Because we grew up in a context where all we're seeing is this. If we would just zoom out a little bit and say, oh no, churchgoer, you were once alienated. You were hostile in mind. You were doing evil things. Would you see the context of everybody's heart when the gospel invaded? Don't minimize it. Zoom out. And it is in that good soil, when we have that understanding, when we have that posture, in that good soil, that this amazing seed of truth takes root. Again, look at 22. He has now reconciled by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. You know, if someone falls and um, breaks their arm, there's two ways, or, or let's say this. If someone falls and hurts, there are two ways you can understand the severity of the fall. The
1: severity of somebody falling and hitting their arm. That's the first way you can see, oh boy, that
0: is, that, the arm should not go in that direction. That's severe. Now let's weren't there. What's another way you can see severity? You can hear later that the okay you hear this the, the doctor had to put the person in a six hour surgery and reconstruct everything. You see the severity by the cost or what it took to restore the arm. you understand? So you can either see it happen and see the arm or, or you can hear about everything that had to be done to restore the arm. Does that make sense?
1: you're hearing about the severity of the fall. We get that?
0: Just in case we convince ourselves that our sins are not a big deal and the severity of our rebellion is small, Paul explains the cost it took for our reconciliation. And in doing so, he helps us see the true severity of our sins, of our fall. How bad was it? How alienated were we? We see the severity of this by seeing what he had to do to restore us. Jesus had to die.
1: You know, I didn't need. He had to die.
0: He had to die. There was no other way for you to be reconciled to God. That's not
1: just for those people. You, who... In this culture, in this context, he had to die for. Jesus... When he prays, Let's do that. But I stood up and went to the cross. And here is
0: this amazing. Truth. See this. Start, let's layer some of this, what we've learned this morning, this passage together. Let's layer it on top of each other. If all things come together by Jesus... And as Hebrews says, He is the same yesterday, tomorrow, and yet He was crucified by mankind. You see what that means? In compassion, Jesus entered into the time loan timeline and
1: made God. And as done, he was at the same time holding all things together.
0: He was being undone on the cross while at the same time holding all things together. While he was becoming incohesive, he was by his grace, the
1: vision of the entire universe. He was holding. Those who were crucified. It
0: is one thing to see that he went to the cross willingly. It's another to see that he upheld, held together those who were doing it. That's crazy.
1: What kind of law is that? While for us it is a field is why he did
0: it to present you blameless and above reproach before God. He died holy before the Father. He held you together. He held them together as they were nailing hands to the cross to present you holy and blameless before the Father. Not born out of religious obligation to a worthy people, they were compelled.
1: And with our hearts seeing
0: all of that, Paul ends this section with a reminder: If indeed you continue in faith,
1: stable, fast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed, all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And again, the
0: word "if" there in language will see three is an assumption of indeed you will
1: he tells them to be aware of the false teaching they are hearing be from paganism or judaism he says continue to hold fast
0: to the good news of the supremacy and of of Jesus Christ guard yourselves from being convinced that you need to add anything there is no upgraded package of this word remember that his work is complete and so we are complete and he is continuing to hold us together so we wake up each day and we think on these good things we come to church not in fear or in show who we are but rather we come because of who he is We are generous in our serving of others because we have been made full. We are not here to prove that we are worthy.
1: We are here that he is worthy. And throughout the week we continue to
0: meditate on these things, which the word meditate means to almost murmur or plot ourselves. We are murmuring these truths to ourselves throughout the week. So we get to work, we come home, we go to the store and we go through each day continuously to all of our insecurities that in him we belong and we are whole. And what is this hope of the gospel that we are not shifting from? Let's finish looking at this hope briefly. We talked about our separation from God that the gospel medicine. So we zoomed out, uh, we zoomed out and saw that we, we were alienated. We were hostile in the mind. We, we saw how the great news
1: of the gospel shoots up out of the water. Because We need to zoom out. God through Jesus Christ. Immediately we may struggle in hardship the nations may raise
0: the supreme will enter and redeem all of creation. What has begun by faith in him will be completed by him. And more than that, clearly as we can see Jesus through his word, as he is implementing
1: God through his word, It is still dim to the ultimate. Okay.
0: Revelation chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. I know you all are waiting for it. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 through 5. You're not going to believe this. But oh man, what if. Believe it? Seriously. What if you believed this? Revelation twenty two, three through five. It says it Oh huh, no longer will there be but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Servants will worship Him. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4.
1: They see His face.
0: And his name will be on foreheads; we'll be known.
1: Be no more. They will light our lamp of lamp. Their light, and they will
0: forever and ever. Don't let Disney fairy tales make you believe that this is as again Keller says often all fairy tales are actually trying to prove this truth. This is a reality. We will see his face. And we will reign with him forever and ever. He died a very real to secure that. It is complete and it is by faith in him that we are reconciled. And so we do not shift from this hope. We wait in patience. And in our waiting, we have joy and thanksgiving. And we see that by his constant grace, we are held together. And we
1: know that in light of eternity, it's just before we will indeed see His face. That you not only gave us, but you are holding us together. In
0: may we understand and feel the intensity of the truth that you are holding us together. That your son is the cohesion of all things. Everything is summed up in Him. He is the destination
1: of all of our appetites. He is the fulfillment of all of. Our May that truth come home by the work of your Spirit, through your hearts through your Word being preached. back from the. Is enough. He is more.
0: We are satisfied. It is our desire that, that these truths would not just into our heads, but into our hearts and out through our hands. Thank you for your son,
1: Jesus Christ. for writing into the story so that we could know you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray this in all things. Amen.